Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. What I'd love to do is go straight to our key scripture for this series. It's Luke 4 verse 18 and 19. And uh, it's a time when Jesus, uh, he stood up. It's his first sermon. He's been baptized. The Holy Spirit has come upon him. He's gone to the synagogue. He's, it's his turn to read. And as it would take place within the cyclical reading of the, of the book of the law, uh, also of the book of the prophets, it fell for him to read this scripture. And it's interesting to me, it's not, uh, it's not unusual that God would make sure that the very word that came out of the Son of God's mouth at the time of the launching of His ministry was the very text that described exactly what His ministry was about. This text, if you like, was a description of Jesus. This is a description of the heart of God for people. And that is the heart of revival. At the end of the day, as we read this text, this is what revival looks like when the Spirit of God is poured out on a nation. And this is what God is calling us to believe for. When you gather on Tuesday night to pray, we'll be praying into, no doubt, the ministry of Jesus, which is the ministry that we have. The ministry to see the Spirit of God poured out in our nation. Let's read it together. Jesus is quoting from Isaiah, but actually he's speaking his own mission. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It's interesting, as Jesus, who is the Son of God, declares that, Jesus needed the Spirit of the Lord to be upon him to accomplish all that he had to do. How much more do we need the Spirit of the Lord upon us as people? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Have you noticed the Spirit of the Lord didn't come upon Jesus so He could feel good? Did you notice the Spirit of the Lord didn't come upon Jesus so that He would have nice fuzzy feelings every time He sang Hillsong songs in His car? Did you notice that the Spirit of the Lord came, didn't come upon Him so that somehow or other His own personal comfort or life would be increased in some way? No, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Him because His whole orientation was into the world. God will come upon us as a church when our hearts and our eyes are focused on the need there and we're going after that need with all of our heart. God will enable us. God will empower us. God will equip us. God will fill our mouths. You say, I don't know what to say when I go to the people around me. I, me neither. But He will fill us and He will use us if we allow Him to. And that is the core of the message of revival. Revival is not let me do more for you, God. The revival is about let me be filled by you, O God, so that I can do mighty exploits in your name. But without that filling, nothing happens. Even Jesus needed to be filled. Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, but they could not see him. He stood in their midst 
and declared who he was through that text, but no one recognized him. Isn't that true of our nation today? No one recognizes him there. Well, not no one. That's not true. There's a bunch of people that do. But more need to, hey? More need to. More need to. More need to. Jesus was the king of a new kingdom. He had the good news for the poor, those who never have enough. Jesus has something for them. The brokenhearted, those with stolen hope. What is brokenheartedness? Brokenheartedness is I was hoping for this, but I ended up with this. I thought this was what would happen, but actually in the end, my hopes were dashed, and now all I have is the bitterness of my disappointment. That's what brokenheartedness feels like. And Jesus said, I want to come and speak to that. I want to show you a different picture. He's come to set at liberty those that are captives. Who are captives? These are people with no rights or freedom. People who feel captive feel like every choice I'd like to make, I can't make today. I feel like I'm being driven by other agendas and not my own. Those who are oppressed, those who are living under imposed burdens. I am carrying a burden that is not mine to carry. This is not my life. I want freedom. I want hope. I want liberty. I want joy. Isn't that the heart of people today? Jesus can bring it to them. And the blind will see. The blind will see. I love that song that they wrote down in Ormo. You know, Jesus, open our eyes that we can see what you see. This morning, that's what I want to focus on. I want to take that line about the blind seeing, and I want to look at that a bit more closely. What is it in revival when the Spirit of God opens our eyes and we begin to see? How could that happen for us today? Join with me as we go to the Word of God in John chapter 9 and verse 1, and this will be our primary text today. John chapter 9 and verse 1. And it'll come up on the screen, those that need it. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he has said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And then he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who had previously uh, had seen that he was blind said, is this not he who sat and begged? And some said, this is he. And others said, he is like him. And he said, I am he. <laughs> Isn't he? I love that in the scripture. A little debate going on. We capture it. Therefore, he said to him, how were your eyes opened? And he answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and I received sight. Let me just pray. Father, as we open your word this morning, would you open our eyes? God, would you help us to see what the Spirit is saying to the church? Would you help us to hear the pulse of what's happening in this nation right now? God, would you help us to feel the weight of our own responsibility? Father, to press into you, to be people of prayer, to be people of vision, to be people that would see beyond what we currently see. God, that we'd be compelled 
Father, to take the message of the gospel. Father, we'd be compelled to rise up in power. God, to lay hands on the sick, to see people recover. God, that there'd be a boldness that would come over us. God, that we'd look beyond our own need. We'd have the capacity in you, Father, to see others. And Lord, that we'd reach out. God, that we, your church would grow and that your message and your fame, God, would be proclaimed around this nation, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. The Bible says when, when Jesus walked on the earth, he did signs and wonders. Of course, every miracle that Jesus performed was a wonder, but not every miracle Jesus performed was a sign. It's a sign. And this morning, what he performed in healing this blind man was a sign. What's, what's a sign all about? Signs point to things. Signs reveal locations, destinations. Signs are messages to us. Jesus performed certain miracles because he was pointing back to Old Testament prophecy that revealed he was Messiah. The actual sign declared he was Messiah. It's why when he walked on the earth, people couldn't understand or see that he was Messiah. Some did. Many started to see that he was. And his fame grew and grew and grew until in the end, they crucified him. But this is a sign this morning. And I want to put this in context. There was two critical things that happened in this story that we've got to catch this morning. Firstly, this is the first time that anyone in scriptural history was ever healed of blindness. I didn't know that until I started studying this in the last couple of weeks. This is the first time in the history of scripture that anyone was ever healed of blindness. It's, it's the most incredible, search it out for yourself. It's why it was such a stunning miracle. It's why it was a stunning sign. And the second reason why this was the sign of the Messiah was when this blind man was healed. When in the calendar of the Jewish calendar, as Jesus within six months was going to go to the cross, it was the time of the festival of tabernacles. And this is critical to understand and important. The festival, the feast of tabernacles. You've got to understand in the Jewish calendar, this is the end of their year. This is a mighty celebration. What I want you to picture in your mind when we talk about the Feast of Tabernacles is World Expo. I want you to picture there's over a million people flood extra into the streets of Jerusalem. It's already packed and teeming with people. But now they've come from everywhere. There are flags. There are trumpets. There is dancing. There is more food that you can throw your nana over. It is huge. It is just the most amazing amount of celebration. There are colorful garments. The priests are dressed up in their most finest regalry. Everyone is out. If there was a dry cleaner, they would have done great business up to this point, and everyone was in their best clothes. It is amazing, and it's a seven-day feast. Every day, building in intensity from day one to day seven. It, can you picture it? Can you hear the sounds in the street, the markets? It's buzzing. It's alive. People wait for this day. It's an incredible celebration. And there are two big ceremonies that happen every day as part of this celebration for seven days. And I want to talk about them very quickly. The first ceremony is called the water libation ceremony. Water libation ceremony. This is what happens in the water libation ceremony. You've got to understand, water is more precious than gold 
in that time. It, it is now too in the desert. But back then, particularly, water was more precious than gold. And Jerusalem's water supply was a really important water supply. It came from the Gihon Spring. And the Gihon Spring had been channeled in to the Pool of Siloam, which was in the middle of Jerusalem. And this was the water supply that David Solomon had actually created this incredible underground tunnel system so that the city could survive a siege. Water. Without water, we die. And in the desert, you die quick, real quick. Water. So they took this water, which was the source of life, the water libation ceremony, and the priests would file up, single file, and all their regalery, and there would be music and dancing around them. And they'd pick up these water jugs, and they'd fill up these water jugs from the Pool of Siloam, and they'd walk back in unison together, and they would pour the water onto the altar. At the same time, there were other priests in all of their finery with jugs of wine, and they'd pour the wine and the water together over the altar while people were dancing around and singing. Often Isaiah 12 would be the thing that would sing, and it would be go like this. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, we will draw water from the wells of salvation. And the people would sing and chant this, this Isaiah song. And the ladies would dance. And it was an incredible celebration. Water symbolized life. And while they were doing this, they were also crying out to God, saying, God, send your Ruha Kadesh. Send your Ruha HaKodesh, which is the Holy Spirit. So they weren't just talking about water, they were talking about the symbolism that the Holy Spirit, who is the breath of God, who gave life to man, bring again your Holy Spirit and fill us and refresh us again as we do this ceremony. Can you get that picture? And so they're celebrating life, they're celebrating the breath of life, they're celebrating the water of life, and it all means something. The water libation ceremony. And then, while that would happen during the day, at night time was the Festival of Lights. And at the Festival of Lights, there were four big candelabra in the court of the women. And they were massive, 40-foot candles, and they would light them. So much so that Jerusalem, the temple in Jerusalem, they said, could be seen in all of the mountain areas right around. It lit it up. Remember, they didn't have electricity in those days. So this was a massive ceremony. as they were lighting this incredible candle. And then the people would recite Isaiah 9 at the, in the evening while this candle was being lit. And it would say, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. And then they also quote Isaiah 42. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. This was messianic hope. They were talking about the light, but they were talking about the prophetic word that was over Israel, which is firstly that they would be a light to the nations, that God would come and he would bring, he would bring his Messiah who would come and rise up this mighty nation. And as he rose up this nation, this nation would be a light to the nations. It would be healing to the nations. So it was basically Messiah. It was about the messianic coming of the wonderful King of kings. 
God, presence yourself in our midst as we light this candle. Come and be in our midst together. Intensely spiritual, but an incredible spectacle to watch. And what would happen is this. Those two ceremonies, the water libation and the festival lights would happen every day for seven days, but it would grow in intensity. So day one and day two and day three and day four, and it would get to what they call the last great day, the great day, the seventh day. On the seventh day of the feast, it would peak and they would take, the actual priests would take these willow branches and they would grab them in like big, big um, bunches of them and they would walk around the altar and they'd bash the ground around the altar and they would basically say this, come Messiah now. Come Messiah now. Ho, 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 ho. Can you picture it? around the altar and that the intent the people with the intensity of their their vision would grow and grow come Messiah now the end of them doing that then then everyone would go quiet and there'd be this hush come over the entire court can you imagine there's hundreds of thousands of people all leaning in and no one says anything and in the midst of all of that drama John 7, verse 37, Jesus stands up in the silence. He's one of hundreds, tens of thousands of people. But somehow he's in a place where people can hear him. And he stands up and he says this. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus, the actual Messiah, stands up after they bashed and said, come Messiah, come, and actually declares, basically, all of this water you've been pouring on the altar, all of this stuff you've been symbolically speaking about, talking about, I'm here. I'm here. I am the water you're talking about. If you will drink of me, you will have everlasting life. It's the most incredible moment Messiah in the midst and no one saw it and no one saw it but Jesus wasn't finished fulfilling the scriptures because that's day seven now it's day eight and we're coming to our story now day eight Jesus performs two messianic signs the first one is to set free the prisoner who was the prisoner if you ever read your bible you'll see it in in luke in john chapter 8 but this is the woman caught in adultery changes your whole perspective when you understand the perspective of what was happening messianically the woman's caught in adultery they drag her out on the sabbath day it's a day of judgment she's going to be stoned and put to death where's that jesus that says he's messiah what should we do with her but see, Jesus is fulfilling the law. He's not speaking to her judgment now. Why? Because he's come to set those who are captive free. So he's setting her free. His whole messianic message is, well, he who has no sin cast the first stone. Because at the end of the day, we're all under the oppression of sin until I do what I need to do. Until I go to the cross, we're all under sin. So those of you that don't, aren't under sin, will you stone them? And they all, one by one, 
look at their shoes and hit the ground and walk away. Because the sense of burden from the weight of the Messiah's words cuts their heart. And Jesus looks at her and says, where are your accusers? Well, they've gone. Well, I don't accuse you. Go your way, but sin no more. Messianic messianic sign number, well, it's not number one. It's a whole bunch of them, but this is the first one of that day. The second messianic sign is the blind man. The blind man. Never in the history of the of the. Jewish, uh, well, any recorded history in Scripture, has there been anyone healed of blindness? And Jesus picks his time and they say to him, well, well, this particular blind man, is he blind because he sinned or his parents sinned? He goes, no, 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 no. He's blind because God wants to reveal the glory today. And it messes with your theology because you say, well, my goodness me, did God give him blindness? No, no, God didn't give him the blindness but he made sure that the blindness that was in that man was positioned that day right there because the Messiah was going to reveal himself. First time in history, someone's going to be healed of blindness. And so what does Jesus do? Oh, see, this is the marvel of this healing. Jesus doesn't just heal in any ordinary way. He does it because he's sending us a message here in 2022. It's been a message that he's been sending the whole time. He gives us the keys to the kingdom. He shows us the keys to the kingdom. What does he do? He, he takes the spit of his mouth. This is the word of God who spoke the world into being. This same mouth that said, let there be light, takes some soil on the ground and puts some spittle with it and creates clay. Out of the substance of his mouth comes life because it was in the beginning and it always has been. The life, the life of God. And he takes that spittle and he puts it on the eyes of this blind man. Symbolically, see it. Don't see it as a, some kind of messy hygiene practice. This is, this is a message from God to us. And then he says to him, go and wash your eyes in the Holy Spirit. What is the water? The water, they've just been talking about it in the libation. Come, Spirit, come. Come, Spirit, come. The water poured on the altar, it's the, it's the source of life. It's, it's the Holy Spirit Himself. Go and wash in the Holy Spirit. In other words, take the words that I say, mixed with the faith that comes from the Holy Spirit, and your eyes will be open. Wow. Wow. It's a message. How does our blindness get healed? Every word that comes out of the mouth of Jesus wants to reveal itself. It's pulsing with the idea that I'm going to show you a new reality that you can't see. Every word that's been spoken by Jesus is potential power. It's potential power, but not until the Holy Spirit opens your eyes. Not until He says, see can you see the word? It's not just the word for someone else. It's not just the word that's been said. It's not this dormant sort of word without power. What brings it alive is when the Holy Spirit goes all over it. And so the blind man took his eyes that were dripping in spit and soil 
and he washed them in the pool. had no idea what he was doing. didn't realize that the reverberation of this miracle would actually reverberate right through the next thousands of years. And as he washed off that stuff, his eyes could see. And the Messiah had confirmed himself because he would come. Remember Luke chapter 4, I've come to that, 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 that those without sight would see. He's confirmed himself, but he's also shown the keys to his kingdom. We need to see, church. We need to see. It's the one thing that distinguishes us as born-again believers is that we have the ability to tap into the realm of the Spirit where God, who is the great sense maker, can make sense of everything you're going through. What you're suffering through, the things that you're challenged with, there's another perspective that God wants to show you. We're inclined to reduce everything to what we can understand. And I understand that. I understand that there's pain sometimes and we, and we say, I don't understand what's going on. It doesn't make sense to me. Why did that have to happen? Why isn't that happening? How come that's not going the way I want it to go? These are all questions that plague humanity. We want to understand it rationally. But church, can I tell you, the whole message of Jesus is it's not about what you see in your natural mind. It's what you see with your spirit. It's how God can come and fill you with His spirit so that you're able to look beyond what you can see to what He's calling us to. And so we walk a different walk. We're a different people. We're called to a different purpose. We don't look like the world. How can we? How can we? Something else has got hold of us. See, God made us to walk this natural realm. He made us, He gifted us with this ability for curiosity and inquiry. When He said to Adam and Eve, He said, Go, be fruitful and multiply, and you know, over, have dominion over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. And basically, He was saying to them, Go. You know, use the curiosity and inquiry, the gift that I've put inside you, the scientific gift, and inquire of things. Do your research. Have families. Build structures. You know, don't just dwell in simple dwellings. Think about how to do it better. Build cities. Infrastructure. Make life easier for yourself. Take the wonder of my creation and Bring it to bear. Look for medicines within the plant life and the things. Eat well. Be well. All of that's part of the plan of God. That don't think for a minute that those natural things are not part of God's design. Of course they are. If you're a person of science today and, and you love inquiry and you love to be curious, you love to read, good for you. You're exercising the gift of God. God gave you that brilliant mind that wants to do that. Some of us less brilliant than others. But nevertheless, that's a good thing. But here's the challenge you and I have got, is it's only really good at analyzing the present and the past. We have no idea about the future. We can't see it because it's divine to see. Foreknowledge is divine. But see, you're born for the divine. God made you to walk as a natural being with supernatural power. You're born for both realms. 
You're born for both realms. Now, you may not have practiced it. You may not have known it. You may not have realized it before, but you are. You're born for both realms. So just like you're curious and inquire of the things of the natural, God wants you to be curious and inquire of the things of the Spirit. And He's given you His Spirit to help you do it. In Romans, you know, um, Pastor Dave was speaking about that before. You know, it talks about how there are things that have been hidden from the mind of man, yet God has revealed them through His Spirit. See, there are things that God reveals and there are secrets that God wants to reveal today. See, without God, we're blind. The blindness that we ache for is the knowledge that we can, we can see into our future. We can under, make sense of what's going on around us. And we, the blindness causes us anxiety. The blindness in us causes us to be frustrated. It, it causes our emotions to be clogged up and not free. Ah, but when God reaches into your head, into your heart, and by His Spirit, He begins to open up your eyes, what starts to happen is you see a hope. You feel this hope in spite of the circumstances around you. You start to look at those circumstances through a sense of prosperity, a sense of, of future, a sense of God, this is going to change. There's something about it on the inside. I can't describe why, but I just know it's not going to stay like this. Somehow or other, there's going to be breakthrough. Can't understand it in my head, but my heart tells me God's saying, push, push forward, press on, sow your seed, do the work. There's something I'm going to bring. There's a harvest coming down the road. And we get up and we go again. Why? Because the pulse of the Spirit of God keeps moving us forward. Do we always understand completely? No. We often just see in part, but as we move forward and then we look back, we go, oh, I see what God was doing. We're really good prophetically looking back, aren't we? <laughs> we look back and go, who was it Max said this morning? You know, we remember. And when we remember God, we go, oh, I see what he's doing. God wants us to take that memory, drag it into our future to inspire our faith so that we'll step forward into the, an unknown future with his spirit. We just keep learning how to do that time and time again. We land this thing. I feel like I could preach this all day. This nation needs a revelation of Jesus. This nation, it needs a revelation of Jesus. And they're looking for signs. This nation wants signs, the signs of the Messiah. The signs of the Messiah. The people who are called by His name, that will humble themselves and pray and seek His face. That's what this nation is aching for. And it's the same signs of Luke chapter 4. Nothing's changed. There's still oppressed that need to be free. There's still captives that need to be set free. There's still the blind that need to see. There's still the poor that needs to have the hope of the message of the gospel. Nothing's changed. It's the same signs, but it's not Jesus in the marketplace anymore. It's us. It's us in the marketplace. That's the only difference. It's us filled with His Spirit, makes the world of difference. And that's why we're going to open new doors. There's physical doors to open. There's spiritual doors to open. And God's not called us to be a church that sits on the backdrop, that sits in the background not doing anything. God says to you, Gateway Baptist Church, He says, come on, partner with me. 
And he's asking lots of churches to do that, and that's great. Good for them, they should. I hope they respond. I can't speak for them. I just encourage them. But we, we want to respond. We want to be that church that hears him, is filled with his spirit. Who will hear the call and stand in the gap? That's been the cry of the Holy Spirit from the beginning. Who will hear the call and stand in the gap? Who? And the cry goes out in the marketplaces. Jesus is still standing up in the marketplace and saying, He who comes to me will never thirst. He's still standing up saying that. In Revelation 3, it says this, Behold, I stand at the door of your life and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. That's his promise. This morning, could I ask us just if every head could be bowed and every eye closed. If this morning you can honestly say, I have never said yes to Jesus. Yes, I know about him. I can tell there's some passion and relationship in people in this place. And I would like that too. I'd like to not just know about Jesus, I'd like to follow Jesus. As we start this series, as we start this journey, can I ask you this morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus, would you do it today? Would you make today the day that you say yes to Jesus? While everyone has got their head bowed and eyes closed, you've got privacy right now. I'm just asking you, pop your hand up if that's you. You say, yes, this morning I'm saying yes to Jesus. I want to put my faith in Him. And all I'm going to do is lead you in a simple prayer that we're all going to pray together. You won't have to leave your seat, but I am asking you to put your hand up. Let God see your hand and I will see your hand. Is there anyone this morning that you'd say, yes, I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I just want to take a minute. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you for putting that hand. Is there anybody else? At the back, I see that hand. Thank you. Anybody else? Just a couple more seconds. Yes, sir, I see your hand. Yes, lady, I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anybody else? All right, church, together what I'd love you to do is I'd love you to just pray this prayer after and we're going to all pray it together. Those of you that put your hand up, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer after me as well. Come on, together in unison, let's pray this together. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I am sorry for my sin. Today I turn from my sin. I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. Come into my heart change my heart from the inside out. You are my Lord and Savior. Walk with me the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, for those who said yes to Jesus this morning, can I just say, welcome to the family. Welcome to the family. It's a good thing. What I would encourage you to do is on your way out, go to our welcome desk. Probably Chris will be there, I imagine, but maybe not. Yes, he will. Chris will be there. He's that attractive man with no hair that's at the back there. Well, he has got hair. It's on his face, but it's just not on top. Um, 
come and see him. He's a lovely bloke. He's just got a, something he'd just love to give you to say, look, this will help you get started. Uh, take it, read it, and then we'd love to help you in any way we possibly can. Come on, let's just stand together this morning. There's something I just believe God wants to do today. And I really wanted to make sure there was time to do it. I reckon he wants to fill us with his spirit again, afresh, fresh, fresh filling of the spirit. You could have walked with Jesus in this room for a hundred years. Although I look at you, there's not many of you that would have walked with a hundred years with Jesus. You, there's a bit of gray hair, but not that much. But there'll be a bunch of you that walk with him for a long time. And you know as well as I know, we need to be always freshly filled with the spirit of God. You can never be more sophisticated than saying, God, fill me again with your spirit. There's nothing, no greater prayer than that. There'll be others of you this morning and you've never known what it was like to be filled with the spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit has come on the inside as you've been born again. He's made his home with you. He is tabernacling with you today. But to be filled with his spirit is to be filled afresh with that fire of God that awakens us and it livens us and it opens our eyes afresh again. Can I tell you, it's a prayer we pray every day. I'd love us to pray it today. Can we do that? If you say to me this morning, yeah, I want to be filled afresh with the Spirit of God, just put your hand up where we are. We're going to pray for you in your seat where you are. But this is you saying, you know, don't, don't respond to me. Look to heaven and say, God, fill me this morning. I need a fresh outpouring of your spirit in my life today. I need it. And as your hand is up, I encourage you to leave it up and, and let it be like an antenna that wants to pull in the things of God into your heart. Open your heart on the inside. Allow love for God to rise inside as I pray. We're going to pray this prayer together. Are you ready? Are you ready to receive? Are you expectant to receive? Are you looking to Him, not me? Don't think about me. Think about Him this morning as we pray. Holy Spirit, I pray for the fire of God to fill this place. God, I pray upon every life, upon every home, upon every marriage. Father, I pray those who are sitting in prisons at the moment, God, that you would bust those prison doors open. God, that you would come by your fire and by your spirit. God, that you would fill us on the inside. God, you would cause there to be an overflow that would flow, God, into our lives and out again. That's rivers of living water, God, that you promised would be a part of our lives. Lord, let that river begin to flow now. Let there be an unstopping of that dam right now. God, that will begin to flow. God, that the unstopping happen. God, that there will be a flow of your spirit that will illuminate. It would bring hope. It would bring healing. It would bring newness of life, I pray. Holy Spirit, come. We look to you this morning. And all of God's people said, Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through those doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.